Welcome in, Fight Fans. This is Ryan McKittle holding things down today for Jimmy Smith on a Thursday edition of Unlocking the Cage podcast edition. Myself and Dean Thomas discuss our favorite storylines heading into Saturday's UFC 274 fight card. Plus, Dean speaks to Luke Thomas for a preview of UFC 274. This is Unlocking the Cage on a Thursday. Let's get it going. Look who just arose from the dead. The man himself. What a segue. Ryan McKinnell. What is going on, my brother? How are you? Dean Thomas, man. Good to see you. How you doing on a Thursday, my guy? I'm good, man. I'm I'm just out here in in Phoenix chopping it up. Yeah. Talking not talking yeah. nonsense. Knowing knowing they're gonna put some clips out that I'm gonna get beat up in the street from some fighters about. <laughs> Tony Ferguson about to beat me up, but you know what, man? Like when I gotta say it, I gotta say it. Hey, that's what's so great about what I do is I don't see any of the fighters hardly anymore ever because of COVID. I mean, you know, ten prior years, okay, fine. You know, you get your interactions, and uh, it is what it is. And I've certainly had you know my moments, whatever it may be, right? But since COVID, I haven't been accountable for anything that I've had to say, which has been wonderful. You, uh, you, well, unfortunately, Dean, you, uh, you have to suffer the consequences. So I feel yeah, you. It, <laughs> in two, in two, listen, in two hours, I'll be at the fighter hotel and they're going to be like, yo, what's that you Charles Oliver, gonna be like, yo, you called me a bitch? <laughs> it's going to be bad, man. I don't know how long I'm going to be at a deal. Well, listen, I, I've been through worse. No, I have. Hey, at least like, we have fun. Yes. <laughs> yes, you have. Yes, you, yeah. you've been in actual championship level fights. You've been. That's I would. True. I would consider that actually worse. I know one thing. I'd be out there looking like Colby Covington with one tooth. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> now let me stop before I get myself in trouble. So what's been going on, man? Are you good, Ryan? I am good, man. I'm good. I'm L-I-V-I-N. I am hanging out here in Vegas. You're in Phoenix. We're both uh, we're both hanging out, enjoying what what will fight week. You're enjoying it a little bit uh, more on boots on the ground than I am, obviously. But uh, no, man, I'm good. And I'm excited because I talked a little bit about the card yesterday with Angela Hill. But man, this is one of those cards that we could spend 25 hours on. You know what I mean? This is arguably the fight card of the year. So I am uh, I'm hyped. I'm ready to chop it up with you a little bit and hang out with Russo and guns and the unlocking the cage crew. I'm going to be back tomorrow. We still got a full week ahead, man. It feels like we're at the home stretch, but we're really not. We still got 48 hours until one of the best fight cards of the year, my guy. Yeah, I know. I can't wait, man. I'm really excited for this one. And I got a couple of minutes um, before we, I got to cut out, but I just like overall, overall, what fight are you looking forward to most? My man. Probably. I mean, listen, I love the main event, right? You can't you can't remove yourself from what that is. But eight years in the making, Carla Esparza, Rose Nama Yunus too, like that is a fight that first of all, it established the division. Right? When you go back those eight years ago, that's the fight that why we're here eight years later. We that entire division was built off of that first fight. And when you talk about the Strawweight division, Dean 
it's arguably the most stacked division in the UFC. You can take your pick. Like, it's subjective at that point, right? The art in mixed martial art is subjective. I'm, if you say, you know, you pick your favorite division, odds are I'm probably not going to disagree with you. Even if you say light heavyweight with the story of Glover Teixeira, it's not the most exciting one through ten, right? Like, it's a good division. It's not strawweight in my opinion, but you could make the case with the story of Glover Teixeira, however you want to go about it, right? I wouldn't disagree agree but when I look at what, what what's on the line the narratives the story uh, of Carla and Rose too the eight years that it took Carla to get back to this point the development of Rose like in terms of narratives and storylines Dean I, I think that's where I'm sitting what about you we haven't got to talk it's been about a month since you and I have sat down and chopped it up so what about I, you yeah it has been a while man I you know I'm not really looking forward to that fight but I mean how could you not <sighs> Like I, I got, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan on this one. So in terms of being a fan, right. I gotta go with Tony, Tony Ferguson and Michael Chandler. Like, how could you not? Like, it's like, like from a fan perspective, I'm like, oh man, I gotta see, you know, Tony take a beat and sure, you know, that's gonna be cool. Like, like who? Or you gotta see, see a man, or, or to see, or, or to see what what Tony has left in the tank. Because I mean, oh, one yeah, of the most dangerous like one of the right sure it is one of the most dangerous lightweights in the history of the sport right your division right tony ferguson is an absolute world beater but three losses in a row uh approaching you know the the twilight of his career i still think he's dangerous enough to pull out a win and my god if he were to beat michael chandler in in a, you know in what is going to be i mean dean there's no way this fight i mean it's you just said it it's the fight you're most looking forward to there's no way this fight isn't a banger you know what's funny about the whole thing is that of all the possibilities of the fight, I never considered, I never once considered if Tony Ferguson wins. <laughs> I never once considered it. Like, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm like, all right, I'm, like, I've considered, like, what that's round modesty. is he going to go down in? Yeah, what round is he going to yeah. go down in? You know, what, yeah. what's going to happen? I never considered a world in which Tony Ferguson wins this fight. I, I can't. I can't. And it's because of the way he's looked in his last few fights, which I understand, right? Like, I get why you would feel that way. And also the danger of Chandler. But that's what also makes it so exciting for me. You're Dean Thomas. You just sat here on the show and said, on Unlocking the Cage, I haven't even fathomed the possibility of a Tony Ferguson win. So just with that setup, imagine if he does win. Right. You're not me. You're Dean Thomas. You are one of the founders of the 155 pound division. You are like whether you like it or not, whether it makes you uncomfortable. Like, these are just the facts. Right. Like this is the truth. Right. Imagine if Tony Ferguson pulls this shit off. It will be. And I don't want to say like historic, but it will leave a lot of us slack jawed. Yeah. I mean, the way he's looked in them last couple of fights, it's like ain't no way. He, I mean, stylistically is yeah. a nightmare of a matchup for him. But if he can pull this off, if he can pull this off, I mean, that would be, to me, a huge upset. I mean, yeah, much right bigger than the right numbers would suggest, the right? Yeah, right. Much bigger than the numbers suggest. Like, to me, the numbers are like, okay, they're just, you know, being generous to him. But yeah. to me, to me, the numbers should be way different. Like, I'm looking at, like, Tony Ferguson should not be competitive in this fight at all. He's just too slow. Yeah too old, too easy to get hit, and doesn't have much left in the tank. And Michael Chandler is too fast, it's too hard, and too accurate, just too athletic. 
So I'm obviously going to be talking about coming up here at hour three, uh, a little bit about what Tony talked about yesterday at the press conference, uh, which obviously Dean, uh, I thought was, you know, it was rare. It was rare. You don't hear a fighter talk like that, especially an active UFC fighter that's in a featured bout on a huge pay-per-view card like this. Um, I just wanted to ask you, you know, before you dip out, I know you've got other obligations and, and, and you know, I look forward to holding it down with you sometime in the future. But I do want to get what was your take on what Tony said yesterday about fighter pay, about about fighters in the UFC? I, I'm just I'm just curious to hear what your uh, take was on all that. I mean, he sounded disgruntled and he sounded like he was misplacing his energy towards the wrong thing. Like, you know, the UFC, like, like it or not, like these fighters can say what they want about the UFC, but the UFC, everybody who's fought in the UFC has had a career because of the UFC. You know what I'm saying? It's not because, because if you think that you could have did it on your own, just ran your own backyard promotion and been a famous fighter, you're wrong. You know, these guys, like, I felt like he was out of pocket. He's out of place. He shouldn't have said those things. And it showed that his focus isn't where it needs to be. Like, his focus needs to be, you know, on well, the fight itself. So That, I think, because we talk about that a lot, right? And, and that's one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was the mentals of Rose Damiunas and Carla Esparza and the revenge factor and how do you rein that in. But, but... You, you, you broach an interesting subject in terms of Tony Ferguson. Like, I'm going to get to my thoughts on what Tony said, and I, and I don't think it's any uh, mystery as to, you know, some of the things that I'll probably uh, elaborate on. But you bring up an interesting aside to that, and that's the other perspective in terms of mentals, in terms of being 48 hours away from a fight. Like, is now really the time? You can make the argument, right? Is now really the time to be putting the light on fighter pay and, and what are the, some of the issues that you had, right? Now, listen, you can take the stance and say that, well, you're an active fighter and you're the midst of fight week and you're going to get the most attention on it at the media day, and that's fine. But to your point, You've worked, how old's Ferguson, 38, 37, whatever. You've worked all of these years to get to this point, to have a fight with Michael Chandler, and this is going to be the focus of your press conference dialogue. That, to me, is dangerous. It's already dangerous enough, the man that you're facing across the octagon, right? Now you're making headlines for an issue that, Dean, we care about, we talk about. It's been something that I've talked about for 15 years, but is it really something that you want hanging over your head when you're heading into a fight? Michael Chandler it's a very interesting conversation yeah man it's it's like I said his energy is misdirected yeah it should be a little bit more in the fight and he shouldn't be disgruntled like I've always said this too like when you get fighters out there that are that are complaining about little things that have nothing to do with the fight they're about to lose they they're yeah. already starting to make excuses and being in this headspace it doesn't make sense like fight week should be you should be happy you should be positive you should be like man man I finally get a chance to I've been training for so long now I get a chance to do what I'm going to do but, you know, when you're complaining about little things like this, that means you are about to lose and you are coming to terms with that. And you're and you realize that you're going to lose and you're already upset about it. So you're misplacing your energy and directed it towards something else. Well, that's that's see, that's the perspective that you bring, yeah. Dean. You've seen this. You've seen this in other instances, right? It's not just this isn't a Tony Ferguson thing, right? This is a fighter thing. This is a mental. Thing. Yeah, it's, a, not a, yeah, it's not a Tony at? Ferguson yeah, it's right, not a Tony Ferguson right. thing. It's, it's a mental thing, and this is something I've always looked for with my with my fighters. I'd always That's when what they were complain, yeah. complaining about little things, I'd be like, "Oh man, it's gonna be one of them type of nights." 
Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Unlocking the cage with Jimmy Smith. I'm covering for Jimmy Smith. I am Dean Thomas. So in a weird turn of events, in a weird parallel universe, I never thought this would be happening because there's so many times where Luke would have me on his show. Now, for the first time ever, it gives me great pleasure to finally be able to say that I'm interviewing this man, the great, the one, the only Luke Thomas. What's up, buddy? Well, Dean, I can't promise that I will offer you the same kind of wisdom that you always offer me, but here I am. Thank you for having me. Listen, man, if I can just understand what you're saying, I'm good to go because sometimes you be tweeting and I have to have a dictionary out because I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I get that a lot. I don't mean it intentionally, but uh, I guess I'm a bit of a nerd, so I'm sorry about that, Dean. No, it's all good. So, man, like, listen, do you are you in Phoenix right now, too, or, or are you back in, a, in your little hometown? No, I'm actually in... Uh in uh, jersey city new jersey for showtime work uh, i live in washington dc but uh yeah i'm not in phoenix oh all right i'm just checking so you know obviously the big fights this weekend which fight are you looking forward to the most luke i mean listen it's impossible to say anything other than one of the two main events or you know main and co-main however you want to describe it but i will tell you that like the fight that pulls at me the most uh candidly would be the tony ferguson and michael chandler fight uh, for reasons that make me feel good which is you know, hey, a, a win here for Tony would be massively redemptive. A win for Michael Chandler would be, you know, what I think would further cement the, 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 how wise it was for he and the UFC to go into business together when they did. But on the other side, if Michael Chandler loses, he'd be one in three since coming. And, you know, he obviously would be fighting good guys, but that would not be, I think, the reputational uh, boost he was looking for. And then for Tony, it would be probably pretty devastating. Uh, 38 years old at 155 is a very, very tough place to be. So big, huge stakes in that one, if I'm being candid. Yeah. Um, now let's talk about the, the co-main event, Rose and Carla. What is your take on that? Can Carla get it done? Like, I'm, I'm like, listen, I, I think it's, to me, honestly, like at this point in their careers, I'm almost looking at it as kind of a mismatch. Can Carla get it done? You know, I thought it was a mismatch, too, and I guess I still think it's a mismatch, but I did see a pretty interesting uh, stat, which was, i I, I got to remember this correctly. I might be messing it up a little bit, but the second part I'm going to get right for sure, which was in fights where Rosama Yunus has taken down less than two times, I think she's eight and one. In fights where she has been taken down more than two times, she's two and two. Now, again, in either way, there was a loss in the case where she wasn't taken down that many times, and there were couple of wins, certainly in the case where she had been taken down. But if you look at Carla Esparza, Dean, you know this better than I do, but certainly it doesn't take a genius to figure out, like, if the fight stays standing, it's a very difficult path for Carla Esparza. I wouldn't even know where to begin with that one. But assuming she can get takedowns, again, obviously Rose is going to have various attacks and defenses, but, it, you know, the wrestling is what Carla does. So you would imagine that's going to be a big part of her offense. Now, your guess is as good as mine about whether she'll get the takedowns, but I have to say, like, I have underrated Carla Esparza 
numerous times to my own detriment. And you could say a couple of the split decision wins she had maybe could have gone the other way, but she got it done just the same against good-name opponents. So I'm still going to favor Rose, but I'll tell you what, like, do I have a greater um, – do I have a, a a greater, you know, sense that Carla has upset potential here? I, yeah, I probably do. Yeah, I mean, when you look at her resume, I mean, I like I had to go back and look at her resume and say, wow, I, I didn't even realize that she had beaten some of these girls that are on that list. I mean, uh, you know, obviously we know that she had beaten uh, Yan Shan Shanan Yan Shanan. I can't pronounce her name. I, I got to get that. And she didn't but, um, just beat yeah. her. She demolished yeah, her. Yeah, she demolished her. I mean, she demolished her. I mean, that was that was about as one-sided as a title contender fight as you could get. And I mean, that was probably her best performance. I mean, that's a, a good case to, that you could say that she should be in this fight and she could possibly win this fight. And then her beat, I mean, obviously, Michelle Waterson uh, poses some footwork problems that she was able to deal with and, and overcome that. Marina Rodriguez, obviously, her striking – you know, she was able to overcome that and deal with that. And I was so like, she's got some wins on it. I'm impressed by, but I, I just, I just can't see it happening because she, when she gets in trouble, she really shows it. And she really shows to look like she's in trouble. It's hard for me to look at that and go, okay, she can overcome that in a five rounder against a girl who's done that so many times. I just don't see it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point. I mean, people always say, uh, you know, they don't like to get hit. Well, of course, no fighter likes to get hit. Uh, but some don't lose their composure. Minotoro Noguera never lost composure. You could hit him in the face with a sledgehammer, and he would act like nothing happened. But uh, to your point, as far as the loses composure, but I will actually put this to the table here, Dean, and I'm going to ask you a question because I want to, which is to what extent can someone who's got the veteran experience of Carla Esparza, how much can you work on that? Like how much can you train someone to not lose composure under fire? I mean, it's very difficult. Like, you, you can't really do it because you can't really recreate that environment in a training situation. You can't create an environment where you're getting beat up and people are, are realistically yelling at you with the lights on you because that's really what freaks people out. Sometimes as you're getting beat up, you hear the crowd and you feel them lights on you and you feel so exposed and you're getting beat up and then you start to panic. You can't recreate that in training. And that's why I don't know if she's going to be able to deal with that situation if it happens to her. If Carla's in a situation where she's getting beat up and them lights are on and there's like three minutes left in the round and she's looking up and she's hearing the crowd cheer, she's getting punched in the face. I don't know if because you unless you've done that over and over before in fights, it's going to be hard to really be able to deal with that, deal with that under that type of stress. Yeah, I'll just say, listen, you know as well as I do, Carla's got to get the takedown and she's got to get it often. The one thing that folks should think about in terms of upset potential is not necessarily Carla going in there and just, you know, dog walking her. I don't, I, even, even if she gets the wrestling, I just, I just don't see that as realistic. However, however, Carla's crowd of pound ain't bad. Um, and she does use elbows. What if she slashes one over the top and there's a cut and that causes all kinds of problems? Like, you know, I, I don't, again, I'm not saying that's the likeliest path, Dean, but I don't think you can just dismiss that either. Yeah, you can't dismiss that. We're talking to Luke Thomas here on Unlocking the Cage. Luke being so gracious enough to bless us with his presence. But you're right. I don't, I, I, I don't know how, I mean, that definitely can come into play. I mean, that's why elbows are so dangerous because you can, like, when in terms of, like, fight-changing momentum type changing 
skills like you have elbows you have guillotines and you have like heel hooks and those things can always change the landscape of a fight like in an instant um but for, in order for her to do it a lot has to happen you know she has to obviously she has to get her down what she's capable of doing and she has to be able to control her and control her her hands and grips in order to get those elbows off a lot has to happen i just i just have a hard time seeing that in my head and i and i'm not saying this to be negative towards carla as far as i just i'm trying to be as realistic as i possibly can be in terms of like breaking this fight down and analyzing. Let's move on from that. Let's talk about Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira. We talked earlier about who had the most pressure and who had the most to lose. Who do you think has the most pressure? Who do you think has the most to lose in this fight? You know, it's a, it's a difficult one to answer because obviously if Oliveira loses, that is the title. That, that probably is the biggest, certainly the most uh, you know tangible prize that one could lose. But obviously Gaethje... If he loses, I'm not saying there isn't a viable path back to the title, but it would certainly not be easy. And at this point, he would be a little bit more in that Dustin Poirier category, which is well-respected, very good, very accomplished, but just short of a you know, super elite world champion. Remember, he still has the loss previously to Poirier, previously to Alvarez, and so those count on his resume too. But i got to say, I, I, um, most to lose. That's an interesting way to think about it. I will say that um, Oliveira in addition to the fact that the title is so prestigious and everything that it confers, there's been this narrative, and it feels like half of the narrative from Gaethje is a little bit overplayed where, oh, Oliveira's a quitter. But, like, you know, it's not totally unfair either where if you look at various parts of his career, he has been, you know, pressured, like Paul Felder getting right into his guard, and he just kind of hammered him right through it. And so you just sort of wonder, like, you know, what kind of resolve does this guy have in fights? But then, you go to me, go back to the Michael Chandler fight, uh, obviously, he had the break of the round, but the fact that he hung, or, you know, between the, the rounds one and two, he had a bit of a break. But the fact that he hung on and then came back out and had the composure to do what he did, I thought was extremely impressive. So I'll say this, you know, you lose the title, that'd be one thing for Charles Oliveira. But if Justin Gaethje goes in there and just does what I think he's going to do, which is just absolutely pressure him hardcore, not just with the footwork, but with the you know, shot selection and, you know, and, and I think the, the, the pace he's going to put on as well. If he can go in there and, like, sort of prove, so to speak, that he was right about that, you might see that old reputation thing costing him in a way where he's been steadily rebuilding that on this, you know, what this is going to be, if he wins it for Oliveira, his 11th fight. Justin could undo all of that and make people think about the guy at 145 who was kind of flaky. That would be a lot to lose in a single fight. Yeah, oh, my God. Could you imagine, like, if he goes out there and he, like, taps strikes? Whew. Like, his reputation right. exactly. would be like. Yeah, that you're, you're 100% correct about that. Now, if he wins, if Charles Oliveira wins, retains the belt, he wins in impressive fashion, where does that put him on the lightweight rankings of all time? See, this is the difficult part because, uh, you know, you look at Habib, his championship run, if you look at just the championship run, now obviously Michael Chandler dropped him, so again, these questions get hard to parse. If you look at just the names on the resume, remember, uh, Oliveira finished – uh, Poirier, obviously, you know, choke from the back. If he goes out there and let's say he finishes Gaethje in a blood and guts fight, but he gets the job done, you know, at that point you've got a championship run, again, the championship part of it, on par with what Habib did to a certain degree. But obviously the difference is that Habib had a basically a blemish-free resume, which is so unicornish in this sport that it's hard to say exactly where it would be for him as a champion um, the championship runs in MMA are much shorter than they are often in boxing. And so for the reason, it's a little bit hard to parse them. So I would say the championship run, if he beats uh, Gaethje, especially if he finishes him, is as good as anybody's. I, I would consider better than BJ Penn's at that point. 
On the other hand, uh, the larger body of work shows a lot more of the vulnerabilities that he's had over time in ways that Habib just never let anybody see. It, it, you have to have, a, I think, a separate conversation about careers versus championship runs. Yeah, those are two kind of like different things. Um, but then when we you try to put them all in the bubble of who was the best lightweight, then you kind of have to blend them together. So now I'm going to really put you on the spot. And me and RJ Clifford just talked about this was our top five. Now, obviously, I'm putting you on the spot real fast, and I'm sure you probably didn't think about it. But who would you, who would be in your top five, even if they're a little out of order, of lightweights of all time? You. Of lightweights. Uh, BJ Penn, uh, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm going to put, obviously, Habib. I'll put him in there mm -hmm. as well. Now, are these guys that I really like or guys who I think were the absolute best? The absolute best. Okay. Um, that's a tough one. Um, Frankie Edgar. Mm -hmm. That's three. Um, you know, maybe this means – I don't mean any I, – I, this is not a diss, but I would probably not put Benson Henderson in there. Um, I, did, I did think uh, – you know, Gil Melendez. Gil Melendez yeah. I'd probably put in there. And then if Oliveira wins on Saturday, probably him. Okay. Hey, not a bad list. Like, it's not very much different from, from me and RJ's. I mean, obviously, we didn't have the what, time what, to think about it. What did you guys like, have I that I didn't? Um, we had Poirier in there and uh, and Oliveira yeah. in there as well. And he didn't have – he had BJ at, like, fifth. I had BJ at number one. I'm I'm kind of with you on that, on, on BJ. And then – we added Frankie in after because that was a name that we for, had totally forgot about was a lightweight. And I thought Frankie was his best division was at lightweight. I thought he did his best work as a lightweight. So definitely Frankie would have to be in there. Yeah. Again, so, I'll just say this too. I mean, you know, BJ Penn, uh, obviously quite intimately, you know, uh, having fought him, but what I would say is for folks who were not there for the prime and to me, the number one prime fight for him would be the Diego Sanchez fight. It's just mm -hmm. very hard to explain what a dominant force BJ was. He had good punching power, a great jab. He was hard to hurt. His skin didn't cut. He had great takedown defense. He was strong for the weight class, and obviously he was a world champion in jiu-jitsu. He was as close to the perfect fighter in his prime as I think I had ever seen. Um, but, you know, fans kind of forget that over time. Yeah, he, oh, but they, fans weren't even watching back then. So, like, that's very difficult to try to to try to push BJ on to people. Because like, all they see is, you know, his recent stuff or some stuff you see on the Internet. But, but Jesus, how dominant he was. He was almost impossible to take down. Like, his single leg defense is the best you've ever seen. Yeah, again, and Habib has, I, I watched a, a seminar Habib did, and he, was, he goes on and on about the importance of the single leg because unlike the double leg, it, you, there's a component of balance that goes into attacks on the single leg. And you never felt that with BJ. You never felt yeah. like his balance was ever at issue. Because he was so flexible. He could just spread his legs and just always be able to maintain his balance. It was absolutely like you, like, you know, like you're one that I don't have to try to convince. But, you know, like convincing the new age fan of MMA now is almost impossible because they just see what they see in the last recent couple of years. But, Luke, man, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'm glad I got a chance to catch up. And uh, I hope that we can do this more often at some level, some capacity. Uh, anytime you need me, Dean Thomas, I am there for you. And uh, thanks for all you've ever done for me and continue to do and for the fan base. Great work, great analysis. And I'm so glad to see you sitting in that chair and hearing your voice. All right, my man. I'll catch up with you soon, man. Have a good day. Thank you, buddy. And that was the super smart, super nerdy, 
Luke Thomas, my cousin, Luke Thomas. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Reeves. SiriusXM Podcasts.